Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. What's my story? In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. A guest once told me, quote, Get over yourself and move on, unquote. Okay, I won't lie. That's this week's guest that told me that, and move on he has. Shane Silvers is an indie writing and publishing wizard. He's also an all-around good guy. I first met him in 2017 at the Vegas 20 Books Conference, and I remember his smile and his energy and positivity. Um, he just already had it going on, and I guess a lot of people were in on the secret already. But for me, I was kind of new to the game of learning the business and really figuring out how to advance my author career to the next level. So I won't bore you with the seven-figure sales that he makes every year or the big-time award nominations for his books, because really, what we want to know at the end of the day is, how do we get from where we're at today to make our dreams happen? How do we get from here and level up? Well, Shane has some accessible insights that just might help someone like you and me take our careers to the next level. So I hope you'll be sure to listen to the entire episode and see what insights you can take away to make work for your unique author journey. So Shane Silvers, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller podcast. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And, you know, before I hit the record button, we were talking about like checking in and how we're how we're doing with this whole extraordinary time as we record this. It's May 13th, and we're in the midst of lockdown for many of us. So, yeah. yeah. How, well, first of all, for people who don't know who you are, let's frame this. What, what do you want to share about yourself? Yeah, so uh, I'm an urban fantasy author. Uh, mm. I, write, I think I've got four different series now. Um, the main claim to fame is the Nate Temple series. Um, and that's about a, a billionaire wizard in St. Louis who's kind of he's kind of a jerk, and he's intentionally written that way. He's mm. kind of like Iron Man, where yeah. he's very narcissistic, and um, he's got a lot of room to grow. And that was kind of the intent, is that I wanted to take someone who had um, pretty much whatever most people want, you know, money, fame, you know, whatever it is, yeah. and then slowly whittle that away to the point that he realizes none of that really matters. Mm. Uh, and that you know, you have to have character behind that. You have to have morale, you know, morals and virtues. And, and so little by little, he kind of gets, you know, knocked on his butt. Um, and he has to kind of find a way to claws back or claws way back to, you know, a more vir- virtuous person and the, more of a hero or right. as much of the heroes he can be, which is 
um, less than uh, most people can be. So yeah, and was, definitely go ahead. I'm just curious in that whole thing because I'm I'm writing an anti-hero story now, but it's not the first thing I've written, and emotionally, it's got a different quality to it. Very different, right? And for Nate Temple, was that your first thing you wrote? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. First thing I wrote. Um, and, uh, I just, I, I saw so many characters out there that were, um, you know, they're poor or they're, they've got a job that they hate, or they're, they're just kind of already down on their, on their butt and their mm. whole goal is to try to get up to the top. And so I said, well, what if I did something different where I started with someone who had it all and then I knock them on their butt and mm. try to have them come back to the top a different way. And so, yeah, that, that was my first stab. And I, I always find more, um, more benefits and more enjoyment from reading about a person who's got obvious flaws mm. as opposed to like a Frodo Baggins type. That's just a perfectly sweet guy. And he gets right. thrust into a dangerous situation. That's fun, but I, it just wasn't for me. Right. As a reader, you're talking about, yeah. yeah. And yeah. I guess as a writer too, you know, I've, I've entertained, uh, you know, bigger stories like that, that I could write. And I've got outlines for something if I wanted to try that, mm-hmm. but I just personally find more enjoyment from the anti-hero type. Right. And so when you started, were you thinking about how it would be received and if it would be successful and find an audience and all those things? Yeah. So when I first wrote it, I thought that I would be able to sell it to New York, uh, mm. become an instant success. Of course. Um, and it didn't work, obviously. Um, <clears throat> but I've always been, I've always had an overly healthy ego, uh, even if it was justified or <laughs> not justified. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would just lie to myself if it wasn't. And so I, I always yeah. told myself I always told myself I had, you know, goal cards that I wrote, um, that I read every single day out loud. Mm. And I would tell myself, you know, you, you are a six figure author. You are, um, one of the top fantasy authors in the world. And when you walk in a room, people know who you are. And, and so I would tell myself these lies every single day, mm. um, as I'm putting on my tie for the bank job. Um, and you know, I was making maybe $7 a month in royalties from my book sales. So it was a blatant lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was no end in sight. There was no, you know, opportunity that it was going to work. And then I started looking into the more, you know, the business side of being an author and the marketing and emails. And, uh, and that's what really turned it around. So, um, you know, before that I spent about three years just waiting for someone else to find it. Yeah. So you didn't ever question like, Hey, maybe this isn't a good book or this doesn't work for readers. No. And I, I knew it would. Um, I, well, I, so let me back up. So I knew that there would be plenty of readers that didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm writing about a character. That's an that's important weird. distinction, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm writing about a character that is very unlikable. Um, and so I knew that would always be the case, but I never let myself use that excuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, because no matter what you write, there's going to be someone or a group of people out there that don't like what you do. And so get over yourself. And yeah. and so as, as an author, get over yourself and move on and stop giving yourself excuses and keep going. And yeah. so... Um, I always knew there would be some kind of obstacle and probably multiple obstacles, but I never, I never focused on those. And that was the point of those goal cards. Yeah. And when did you like transition from like, you know, there's the, the, the mantra cards or the lies that you tell yourself every morning um, that keep you going. Like at what point in the process did you feel like that was backed up in some way by data you were seeing or feedback you were getting? Yes. So, um, the, the cool thing about these goal cards and I tell everyone about them is because you, whether you realize it or not, you're, 
you're either going to be doing those goal cards or you're going to be subconsciously giving yourself, like you were saying, negative, you're never going to make it. You mm-hmm. only make $7 a month in sales. So in the back of your mind, you're always going to be having those thoughts. So mm-hmm. the whole point of these goal cards is to counter counteract those. Yeah. So if you don't fill yourself with positive lies, you're going to fill your head with negative lies. Yeah. So um, I just, I started just counteracting my sub, my psyche, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so um, it wasn't till much later that I started noticing success, but, but I did notice that my confidence would grow and I'd, I'd get more um, just better at storytelling and, and more focused and more uh, motivated and less mm. tired. And, you know, I just, I, the lies, if anything, just helped me persevere. And that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And uh, I want to stay for a moment, kind of like in this early phase for you, because mm-hmm. for a lot of us, that's what's relatable in, especially for aspiring authors versus mid-career authors, right? Like there's the day job. There's yeah. family, there's commitments. There's not really a lot of me time no. to even get my head space, my head on straight let alone write a story consistently. And And so like, what were you dealing with when you're like leading up to writing this book and why did you even write in the first place? Yeah. So one of the things on my goal cards was that JK Rowling, uh, she wrote her books on like napkins and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. She was raising kids and living on the equivalent of food stamps. And uh, at least to my knowledge, she was on some kind of welfare. And so she was in really tough straits. Um, and so I had that on my goal cards, like if she can do it, why can't I? Mm. And so my, my struggles, you know, that I had in my way were, um, I was getting a college degree at first. Mm. Um, so I was, you know, doing that 16 hours a semester. Um, and then I was working full time at a bank, um, and I was getting married. Mm. Um, and as the years go by, I got the degree and I had to get a real, you know, big boy job at a bank. Um, and then we were having kids. And so there, there was always something going on. I never had, um, you know, free time. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever, I, whenever I did have free time, I mean, for probably three years, I didn't watch any TV, uh, any shows, uh, really didn't do any enjoyment reading at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to the occasional movie, you know, blockbuster, like a Marvel movie or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was literally working about 20 hours a day. Um, and so I'd wake up at about 5 a.m. and I'd, uh, I would write or do marketing or emails. Sorry, I've got a, a dog here that wants to be part of the show. Cool, what's um, the dog's name? No, her name is Freya. Hey, Freya. Yeah. yeah. Does, does Freya ignore digital devices <laughs> like other animals do? She uh, she loves attention. So she's, uh, she's yeah. not understanding who I'm talking to right now. She thinks I'm going crazy. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so at about 5 a.m. I'd wake up, 4.30 or 5 um, and I actually set my alarm clocks on my phone um, to say Jim Butcher is already writing. Um, mm. J.K. Rowling already published her second book. You know, whatever it was, like I would have these little things on my alarm. So when it goes off, it that's the first thing I read. Mm. So I jump out of bed and I'd work from five to seven um, just on the book or whatever it was. And then I would go to work from, you know, eight to five. And on my lunch breaks, I'd bring my laptop every day. I'd go find a park or a coffee shop. Mm. Um, I'd go write. Um, then I'd get home, spend, you know, two hours with kids and the wife, and then I'd go right back into writing till you know, midnight too. Um, so basically my schedule was four hours of sleep for about 18 to 24 months. Yeah. And so on the one hand, that's, that's really an inspiring 
like tail, right? You found a role model and you realized that anybody can do it. And so you can do it. And did, did burning the candle at both ends like that take a toll? Um, no, it, I mean, I'm sure it did. Yeah. (laughs) It has to, to some extent, but, but I never let myself, that was another reason for those goal cards is because to do something like that, you have to be, you know, crazy. You have to be committed. You have to Mm. be beyond committed. And so those goal cards were to help push me and push me and not say, Oh, you're tired. You've been working really hard the last two weeks. Take a break. Um, I couldn't afford that because if I did take a break, um, I'd stop. I would, you know what I mean? Just keep going, keep the, keep the bus yeah. moving. Um, you take a break and slow down. You have to start all over again. So, yeah. And how did you come across this idea of goal cards? Um, it's, I, I can't really remember. I've always been a student of self-help. And so mm-hmm. I was always reading, you know, Napoleon Hill, Dale Carnegie, um, you know, different business people. Um, I've always been interested in that, just the human psychology. Um, and that's something that I put in my books a lot is in the characters is I really focus on the, the psychological impacts of a lot of the things that happen and how they make their own problems a lot of times. Yeah. And so, um, I've always been fascinated with that. And so, um, on a personal level, I've been doing that for years just with my career or school or, you know, romance, you know, love life, family, everything. So I've always Mm -hmm. had parts. Cool. You know, that it requires a certain commitment and and energy to self, right? Mm -hmm. Because, we're not flawless and it takes some admitting that and living in discomfort. Yes. You have to make yourself uncomfortable. Yeah. And so in your invitation to prospective readers, you, you have this invitation that to join your readers group because we are freaks. And so I'm wondering, what does that, what does that mean to you? Um, so I, I've always, I've always noticed that some of the most interesting people I've ever met, um, are just the free thinkers and the, you know, the wild at heart people and the, you know, the, the people that most people just kind of look over, um, mm. or say, Oh yeah, they're a fantasy nerd or they're a, you know, D and D gamer. Or they like magic, the gathering or whatever. They just kind of shrug them off with whatever label. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always found that if you, if you break through the barrier and talk to those people, they're some of the smartest people and just most interesting people that you can talk to. Um, and I was obviously, I was obviously coming from a banking world where it's all, you know, pressed white collars and ties and suits and everyone's very stuffy and it's who, you know, and who you played golf with and all this. And I, I never really cared for that. And so I thought it'd be cool to kind of make a a clubhouse essentially for freaks. Yeah. To go back and have fun reading. So, so I, maybe you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but in that world, maybe you felt like a little bit of a misfit. Yeah. 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 And I, I love the misfits. Yeah. And do you feel that way being in the uh indie author community? Yeah. Absolutely. Do you feel like do you feel like a misfit in that community though? Or? Yeah, I always I always love being the underdog and I, I love the mm. fact that indies are taking over. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just I've, I've always loved the underdog. So maybe maybe that's another reason. Yeah. <laughs> and so it, I know for like in past podcast interviews I've heard with you, there's, you know, there's, there's this moment of transition from when you were struggling to sell books, right. Uh To, to finding some commercial success. And I suppose for people who haven't heard that we should touch on that, but I have 
some questions following that maybe of course yeah yes, I'll, I'll real brief i uh i spent probably i think i published obsidian sun in 2012 um, and then i wrote the sequel in 2015 mm -hmm. so i was finishing up school and just you know life stuff in the way and so 2015 is when i really said okay well if you're gonna do this do it you know give it your everything for 12 to 18 months and if you fail that's fine you've got a nice job go to go do that but at least give it everything you have and then you can just put it on a shelf if it doesn't work mm -hmm. uh figuratively speaking but pun intended um so uh i spent about six months maybe seven months looking into the marketing side and how to go about that um through there's a course with mark dawson at the time uh, who had an ad advertising for authors course um, and he just kind of really put it into perspective that indie authors, it's not just writing, it's a business. And I have a business degree. And so as soon as I really thought about that, I said, I'm an idiot. I could have done this three years ago. This is what my job is. But I just, I never really thought of it being a, that I would have to be a business owner as well as a writer. Yeah. It's, as soon as I did, it started to make perfect sense. And so I spent about six months kind of going through his courses and just understanding the marketing and the advertising and emails and all that stuff. Um, and then I set all that up and within, uh, I think the first six weeks after I started really treating it like a business and um, having all those things in place, um, I think I hit, um, I had my first $700 month, um, within the first, I think the first month was the first $700 month. And then the second month was 1700 and then it was 17,000 the month after that. And then it yeah. just kept, kept going exponentially. Yeah. And, you know, some people, I think, especially those who haven't been on the inside, say, of that course or really examining, been thinking about the business for a while, might hear that and go, okay. So I learned business because we all hear we need to learn business, right? And then you shot up the charts. Um, and oftentimes, maybe what we're missing is understanding what what we're supposed to be measuring to tell if we're successful or not. Yeah. Right? And so, and part of that is what we're spending, how we're spending it, but also the metrics we're seeing. Yeah. Right. So, so in my case, um, I started out, I had no money, uh, no free money anyway. And so I had to cash in my retirement account mm. um, to fund all of this stuff. Mm. And I didn't tell my wife about that. Um, it's, I'm, it's okay. I'm safe now because I made up for it. Right. <laughs> I could have gone very bad, yeah. uh, but I, uh, I cashed in my 401k to fund this. Um, and I, I only had $5 a day to spend on mm. ad. That was a stretch too. Um, and so I really had to focus on what was my goal. Was it, it wasn't necessarily to make six figures a month. I didn't even necessarily believe that was possible. Yeah. Um, and so what I would look at is the number of super fans, because I figured if I can get one super fan, it's worth 10 or a hundred mm. passive fans. And so I really started focusing on interacting with um, every comment that came through on an ad. Um, and I would really personally get involved, not just thanks, but mm -hmm. like, Hey, you know, what was your favorite part? Or, you know, how is this different from other books you love? Or yeah, you know, I would really engage them in a conversation, open-ended questions. Um, and that's what really kind of set the fire is that these readers were so unused to that, that an mm -hmm. author would actually care about yeah. what they write or what they say, or that they would even comment or reply or even like their right. comment. And so I really focused on just building the super fans and really showing the readers that, Hey, I'm not just here to sell you a book. I'm here to 
you know, talk to you and hang out with you. Right. Uh, so that's how I kind of measured my engagement. And it was, of course, I would look at metrics, you know, sales numbers, but, but I was more focused on that engagement. And that's what kept me up most hours. Yeah. So I'd be on Facebook for four or five, six hours commenting and liking and searching my name and seeing if I missed anyone. And mm-hmm. I'd have Google alerts and all this stuff for anytime anyone popped my name onto a post or a comment. And I would, I would go find them and hunt them down and respond negative or positive. And I would mm-hmm. just, them. um, and so that, that, that was kind of my metric and the, the sales moved according with that engagement. Right. So. Right. And you probably learned this in the course. And so maybe it wasn't a surprise for you. <laughs> like if you were seeing like, so one, you're, there's what you're spending, there's what you're making, and you've got cash flow, and you've got engagement, and you're developing, cultivating an audience to connect with, and that probably felt really good, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Like, did the question ever come up, like, like when you thought about scaling up, how much you were spending? Like, that was terrifying. Yeah, I wanted because I wanted to talk about that for sure. I mean, the $5 a day was a stretch because yeah. as a banker, I would say, okay, well, 30 days in a month times five, that's $150 that mm. I don't have. Yeah, I'm not going to get paid from these sales till 90 days later anyway. Yeah. So I don't have this money. Um, and so, sorry, um, some kind of dog or mailman or something. Yeah, uh, but, uh, yeah exactly. Um, but essentially, I would look at these sales and say, okay, yeah, everything's supposedly going great. I don't have the money yet. Um, and then a friend of mine, John Logston, he's another author. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's actually the founder of reader links. Uh, okay. Exceptional guy. Um, he's the one who looked at my numbers and said, you idiot, double your spend. Like these numbers are ridiculous. Yeah. But well, I don't have the money yet. Like I haven't actually made any of this. And yeah. he said, well, you should triple it, not double it. And then yeah. so he kind of pushed me over the ledge. I'm, I'm, I ask because, well, one, a lot of people struggle with this, right? Because mm-hmm. there's this idea of the that resists like, okay, so I'm spending $5 a day. I can see that, although I can't necessarily measure correlation great, like that maybe I'm making $10 a day, $15 a day, right? Yep. And it's like, well, I should wait for that money to come back, right? And so my thought was, if I know that money's coming in, I can pay off the debt essentially, because that's what you're committing to is a debt of $5 a day or $10. Yeah. And so I looked at it as, okay, I don't have that money yet, but I have that money. Yeah. So I'm going to reinvest a hundred percent essentially of what I'm supposedly making on, you know, book report or KDP. It shows me I made a hundred dollars in sales. So let's put that hundred dollars immediately back into advertising to boost posts or and so I never, I never took a penny of the money that I was, you know, making um, until six months later, seven mm-hmm. months later. Yeah. So you know, I was at the point where I was hitting, you know, mid five figures a month, and I wasn't, uh-huh. I wasn't doing anything for myself. Yeah, I wasn't paying myself. I was just still going to work um, and still putting it right back into advertising or new book covers or audio. Or so I, I never, I never treated it as real money yeah. because I. I wanted it to be a lifestyle, not, you know, a new watch or something silly yeah. like that. And so, um, I didn't pay off debts. I didn't do anything. I treated it like it wasn't really there. Mm. Um, and it was almost like a video game where you just mm-hmm. read it and 
know, try to make your character stronger, but you don't actually get anything from it. And so, right, right. Uh, so it made that easier because I didn't, I didn't treat it like real money. So it was easier to reinvest it into more advertising or whatever. Mm. Yeah. And, and so when you, when you listened to John Logston and you, you tripled your budget, like, were you like freaking out? Like, yeah, I was, but, but at the same time, I mean, I was terrified. I mean, yeah. we're talking about money that I don't, I don't have that kind of money, you know, um, in my career, I didn't have that kind of money to just throw away on Facebook advertising of all things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was terrifying, mm-hmm. but if you think about it, if, if it started blowing up or not blowing up, you can reduce it the next day or yeah. two days later. And so it's not, you're not really committing to, you know, $900 or committing to $30 or yeah. whatever it's a day. You're just committing to the daily spend. Yeah. Although, I imagine like it could come up, you might hit like a statistically a slow cycle for a couple of days. I could see where it would be tempting to and it was. And pull the plug. And that's why I looked at the accrued earnings that I've made over the past you know, six weeks, eight weeks. And I'd say, okay, well, my budget is I've got you know, $20,000 that's sitting there in Monopoly money that I can put in advertising. So yeah. let's do it. It's not real money anyway. Let's just do it. Yeah. And so it just made it a lot easier. If you detach yourself from the money yeah. and just think of it as a monopoly game or something yeah. else, um, you make smarter decisions. You're not emotionally um, affecting it anymore. Yeah. And so you're five years into that process. And I imagine your ad spend, because I've heard you on different podcasts, has gone up significantly. And do, do, like, do those alarm bells still go off? Like, do you have a process for dealing with the stuff that comes up? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard because, um, you're talking like when you step back for a minute and listen to the number again, mm-hmm. that, that you're committing to spending, it's mm-hmm. shocking, you know, based on old mentalities or like, you yeah. know, what I was doing two years ago, like that dollar amount was a, a salary for the year or something. Yeah. And so it's, it's very jarring when you do that. But if you, again, separate yourself emotionally, and just treat it like a business and you say, okay, well, the total revenue is this, the advertising expense is only this, that's, that's marginal, you know, that's yeah. fine. Um, but if you look at it as an actual dollar amount, yeah, you can skip a heartbeat or two. Yeah. So if we're treating it like a business, there's any number of ways we can use the same principles to sell widgets or whatever we want, right? It doesn't have to be books. So, so, why are you still writing? I love it. I've always yeah. loved it. Um, yeah, I've always enjoyed it. And I've always enjoyed just reading fun stories and telling fun stories. Mm. Uh, and the stories aren't done yet. Uh, I've got, I mapped them out years ago to be very long. So there's mm. probably 23, 25 books in each series, maybe. Um, just depends. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've got it mapped out to be very long. And then I've come up with new ideas. So I genuinely enjoy it. Yeah. And... I've always been the type of person that like one of my favorite lines in uh, Troy with, with uh, Brad Pitt was mm. say, what do you want? And he says, I want what every man wanted. I want more. Mm. Um, so I've, I've always had that drive to, okay, well, what's next? Um, you've already done this. That's, that's amazing. What else can you do? Or can mm. you help someone do what you did? Mm-hmm. My next goals now is to work with, you know, a handful of other authors and see if I can make them the next, you know, Shane of whatever genre they're in. Yeah. Uh, and, or even fantasy, just make them hit their dreams. Yeah. Uh, and so 
there's there's always a new goal. It's it's not a it's not a end of the race. It's just a, a yeah. new lap. So. Yeah. No, I, I recognized I did the music thing for, before writing books, and yeah. you know I I recognized at some point a few times what after you get hit over the head a few times you realize you hit a goal and it's like wait it was the journey that was satisfying yeah. like yes. celebrate this for one day two days and then i go into a funk if i'm not doing something yes absolutely you gotta feed the muse yeah and, yeah. and so you just so you mentioned you've got 20 25 books plotted out for each series and um, so how many books do you have out right now? Kind of total, where are you at? Um, well, like not counting box sets and stuff like that. There is 33 or 34. No, there's, no, it's probably more like 38. Um, mm. so close to 40. Um, but then I've got a bunch of irons in the fire right now for new projects. So, mm. um, so it'll, it'll keep going. Yeah. And some of those are collaborations, right? Yeah, there is. Yeah. So there's 10 of those are collaborations and those are more, when I say collaborations, that's more, um, I help on the business and marketing and more of a publisher side. Okay. So also as kind of a, a director for a movie, I guess you could say, where I help kind of shape the story and, um, you know, my co-author Cameron O'Connell writes it. Um, and then I go through and say, Hey, what if we did this? Or what if you changed this character to do this? Or here's where my other two series are going. What, how can we incorporate your books into that? Cause it's one big universe. Yeah. It's more of a, more of a director type role with his books is where I kind of help spitball ideas and storyboard with him and then critique you know, very, very minimally critique yeah. uh, his work at the end. And then, um, and then it's published. So co-author side, it's because it's in my universe and more of a, a director role or producer role, whatever you would want to call it. Hmm. But, yeah, all, all the others are me though. So like what comes up kind of like, not necessarily in a negative way, but it comes up with collaborating. I and mean, there's kind of two sides of the fence. There's one, your name's on it, but you're not writing it. So there's like control things maybe. And on the other end, must be hard. It, at least I put myself in the shoes of, say, Cameron, to yep. be writing and thinking my stuff like the greatest thing ever, right? And getting feedback, right? Like, yep. like, am I done? Wait a minute, I'm not done. You know, yep. like so it's it is very tough um, because creative people are very opinionated, hmm. uh, myself and Cameron included, um, and so when it came to Cameron, he's uh, he's got an MFA. You know, he did the whole traditional mm. English, uh, English education. And so he's very knowledgeable on things that I will never know and will mm. never be good at. I'm not a, I'm not a grammar person. I'm not, uh, I'm not as sophisticated in that sense. Um, and so he has a lot of things that he could sit back and say, why are you telling me what to do again? Um, because he knows way more than me when it comes to composing, you know, the written word. Mm. But then I can say, you know, my, my whole point was even without knowing all of that, look at the success that I've hit. And he says, you're right. We both have things to teach each other. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're both very coachable in that respect. And that's the only reason I work with him um, because I, I don't want to babysit someone mm-hmm. and I don't want to work with someone who's not coachable um, because my whole goal is to make that person more successful. So if they make it harder, mm-hmm. they're part of the problem. 
Yeah. And so I would only work with someone who's coachable that can uh, take, you know, constructive criticism and improve it. I mean, that's yeah. what I did with, you know, my business sense is, um, yeah, I have a business degree, but obviously I don't know what the hell I'm doing with the book business. So I put myself in a mentee role in a student role with, mm. you know, Mark Dawson and others um, and said, I don't know what I don't know. Teach me. Yeah. So I'll we'll make it work. Why, why did you start collaborating in the first place? Um, it was to really, it was to give Cameron the opportunity mm. uh, because he had always wanted to write and he had written a lot, but he, again, he had tried doing the traditional uh, model of, you know, submitting short stories and mm-hmm. submitting to publications. And although his work was exceptional, um, it just wasn't getting the attention it deserved. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, I've got, I've got room in my universe for a new series uh, that's on the East coast. And if you don't do it, I will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but would you like to? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was pretty much it. I, I just knew he had skill and I knew he was coachable. Uh, he's an old family friend of mine. And so um, I said, Hey, we can give it a shot. And if it works great, if it doesn't great, but at least you got a chance to see what publishing is actually like, as opposed to you know, dealing with the, the BS of New York agents. Yeah. And I, you know, I know indirectly more from the music side of having pitched a lot songs and that kind of thing that sometimes people just aren't like in the decision-making gatekeeping spot, like exactly. looking, looking for mm-hmm. your voice. Exactly. They're not then, looking for your point of view or your narrative and has nothing to do with your quality. Yep. And it doesn't mean you don't have readers out there. Either. Exactly. And that was, I was going to caveat my statement there because yeah. I, I said BS with agents and it's not the agents. That's the problem. It was just the, there's too many submissions for them to be able to pay attention to everything. Yeah. And so it's, it's just the querying process is very draining. Um, mm. And I went through it and got rejected a hundred times. Mm. So if I would have listened to that advice, I wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. Um, and it was that same book. It was Obsidian Sun. Yeah. rejected close to a hundred times, I believe. Well, so, it, it, it must be liberating to like, to realize that I can write in my voice, whatever I want. Yeah. And there are people out there for yeah, me. You, you have to find the readers, not the publishers. Yeah. And that, was, that was kind of my understanding is that, well, if, if these people in New York turned it down and none of them turned it down because it was bad, I never got, I, I don't recall any, I think I would remember if I did, but, um, I never got any that said, this is trash or, you know, you're terrible or I never got anything horrible. It was just mm. at this time we can't. And, and a lot of times they were saying we've already got two urban fantasy books slotted for the year. And yeah. so it was, it, it was business. It wasn't a judgment of my story. Yeah. And, but still that was preventing me from reaching my goal. And so rather than allowing that excuse to dictate my life, I said, well, fine, I'll just do it myself. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to do that for Cameron too, to yeah. see if I could help him as well. Well, yeah. One of my meta points is like in doing this podcast in general. And, and when I coach people too, is a, a lot of us quit or feel the temptation to quit when the submitting doesn't work or when not reaching buyers right out of the gate and you know lacking context or knowledge of what's happening on the other side can be a real liability because you think it's about you yeah right everything's about you 
Yeah, so everything's about you. <laughs> Once you realize nobody's paying attention, like, wow, yeah. you know. So that that was one reason I engaged with the readers so much. Yeah, um, I was telling you earlier with comments and posts and Facebook yeah. or fantasy groups online or whatever is to let them know that I'm I'm a reader just like you guys. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm guessing you would have been content to, to be successful with a pretty small niche and maybe replacing your income right yeah. and i mean my goal at first was to make enough to buy diapers right. it, wasn't, it wasn't anything like it is now right so somebody might have thought hey you know this isn't ever gonna be like big mm-hmm. big money or award-winning like yeah. stuff right but so i don't know if it's important to you to talk about but like from those external measures of success like how are you doing as far as that kind of feedback and validation of, of your work. Well, what do you mean? So clarify. So, well, so um, I guess I'm thinking about like, have awards come up for you or, you know, are you like in the realm of selling lots of books? Like how are you doing compared to say mainstream? Successes? Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, I was nominated for the Dragon Award two years in a row for Best mm-hmm. Fantasy of the Year. Um, and so that was pretty cool because I got to go up there, you know, beside Jim Butcher and Larry Korea and Faith mm-hmm. Hunter and, um, you know, a lot of these big traditional authors. I got to go hang out with them and sit beside them yeah. at the same, same table they are for this, you know, award. Um, granted, I didn't win, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, the voting systems are a little... Um, skewed in some of these contests um because indies are just starting to enter these mm-hmm. where it's the traditional or you know, everyone knows the name and so if you don't if you know someone and then you don't know the other person you're probably going to vote for the person you've heard of yeah um so so but just getting there was great to me because i got to go sit at these tables and speak on panels with some of them and even some of the agents that declined me uh years ago i got to sit mm-hmm. next to them at a panel and um, remind them that they declined um, in a nice way, you know, a nice joking way, but saying, hey, Indy's, Indy's legit. <clears throat> Indie publishing is legitimate because, you know, we weren't able to work together, but we're still here and I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's gotten to the level now. Um, it's just night and day. Um, the goals that I'm setting now are almost unfathomable to me, mm. especially as of a couple of years ago. Mm but I'm not slowing down. I'm just trying to keep expanding and put any publishing in the respected place that it deserves to be. Yeah. Is there any goals that you're excited about you'd want to share publicly? Um, <clears throat> publicly. Um, I'm trying to think of something yeah. you can or cannot say. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm getting into foreign translations. That's one thing um, that I'm working on German. We've already got the first three books. And so we're going to be seeing how that's going or see how that goes before, you know, continuing, but then we continue rather quickly. Yeah. There's a couple, <clears throat> there's a couple of business ventures that I'm working with right now um, in the publishing world that seem like they're going to be pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then personally, I've got, um, I've got two authors right now that I'm look that I'm working with um, on collaboration type co-authoring projects. Um they're probably not going to be co-authors in that sense. They're going to be more of just me as a publisher helping mm-hmm. them um, and just kind of manage 
manage their manage their work and publish it and market it and do all that. Uh, but it won't be a co-author you know, co-author type gig. So that's going to be interesting. Um, and then I've got uh, several new series that I'm personal personally kind of entertaining working on, but I've got plenty to write in already. So I'm kind of hesitant to pull the trigger on any of those. Yeah. And does that, I assume that some of the things that come up around that might be capacity, right? Yeah. There's a cost to each initiative you're doing. Yeah. Capacity and quality. Like I, I'm never, I'm I'm not ever going to do anything to make a buck over quality. Mm -hmm. Uh, So just because I could write a book and sell it and make money, if it's going to diminish the quality or, you know, just integrity of my writing, I won't do it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, yeah, there's always things I want to do, but there's a limit to how much I can do and do well, as opposed to just slapping my name on a cover. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've got a lot of projects that I'm anxious to look into, but, um, and then, uh, always working on the film angle, you know, I've got some irons in that fire that seem to be going pretty well. So, Cool. Uh, so, and when I say film, just any kind of screen yeah. opportunity. So Netflix, uh, actual big screen, whatever. So there's a couple opportunities there that I'm negotiating. Well, that's exciting. And I, I know that that those markets are hungry for resonant, resonating yeah. content yeah. that's identifiable. And you, sure have to, you have to convince someone. That's, that's the game. That is the game. <laughs> yeah. It's not a quick game. So... So I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about like feedback and disclaimers, like, right. Like, so you're, you have a style and you talk about your style to your like mailing list and audience, right. Mm -hmm. About the content of your books. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So like what comes up there? What, what are you doing that, that warrants a disclaimer or a talking point? Yeah. So I think, I think in today's society, there's a a knee jerk reaction for people to get too offended um, rather than, you know, people are just too fragile in a lot of senses. And I don't think they mean to be, or that they realize they're being that way. Um, So my books have always intended to kind of jostle you a little bit and shake Mm -hmm. you up to get you to think, not to attack you. But just because I think that if you're kind of, if you stumble a little bit on your feet, when you read something, it stops you and makes you think about something. And if, and if I can have you look at something in a new way Mm -hmm. uh, from both sides and say, wow, I actually never thought about that that way, or that my position is this way. And it just kind of gets you to think for a second. I've done my job. Um, It's not, I'm not there to be a a soapbox to preach. I'm not Mm -hmm. trying to do anything like that. But a lot of people sometimes think that I am if they just, if they read a comment or read a post or read a chapter and they, they think that I'm trying to preach because they didn't keep reading mm-hmm. uh, or they, they instantly label me with, you know, Oh, this author is this, or this character is this, or, um, and it's like, no, like, like one of the most common is that they'll say, Oh, Nate's misogynistic or, um, and you know, Nate Temple. And it's, mm-hmm. if you keep reading, it's not remotely the case. The point was to make him look that way and kind of, and make him a jerk so yeah. that he can learn how to overcome. Right. And so, but there's people that will just read that and instantly shut down and boycott the whole growth of the mm-hmm. character, which in, in my, in my reader, uh, as a reader, not as an author, yeah. 
those kind of characters are when I'd say, wow, this guy's messed up. Yeah. He's a bad, he's a bad person. Yeah. I wonder, if he, I wonder if he gets better yeah. or if he, or if he gets worse. And that's yeah. what I wanted to read. Yeah. Is, is he rewarded for that or is he redeemed or is he punished? Like I want to yeah. see if this guy gets any better or if he gets even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of the whole point as a reader for me is that I wanted to hear about those flawed people to see if they got their comeuppance or if they got power and became even more terrible. Yeah. Uh, and so to me, that was always exciting, but I, I just see these days that as soon as there's a single line that's vaguely offensive to anyone in general, hmm. they just shut down and they can't take it. And so yeah. I, I put that disclaimer out there to be just to let them know, guys, yes, it is there, but it's not what you think it is. Like, yeah. Just keep reading and you'll see. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I imagine you hear from readers or see reviews when, when people are confronted. I've gotten one or two. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I just started putting that in there for the people that are super sensitive, just so they know ahead of time. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, like I said, there's nothing terrible in my books. I don't write anything or, you know, horrendous or anything like that, but some people seem to take it that way. Yeah. So I just well, put it there. Like, if you're one of these people, here's a word of warning. I suppose that mirrors real life, at least in the media realm, right? Like yeah. kind of we don't, mean? we don't wait to see how people's stories unfold. Right. Cause we're in the middle of it. Mm. Yeah. That's kind of what I mean is it's kind of yeah. a cultural thing these days that everyone's yeah. so frustrated and rightfully so, mm-hmm. especially right now. Like there's so many things to be upset about. I get it. Yeah. But reading is supposed to take you away from that. Not, not have you still be angry. Like you're supposed yeah. to take a breath and enjoy something new without being tainted by all the other stuff in the real world. Yeah. So that's kind of my disclaimer is, Hey, leave your luggage at the door, read this book for fun. Yes, there's going to be bad guys. There's going to be good guys. That's what a story is. Yeah, I suppose that's that's part of the allure of writing and speculative fiction versus, yeah. say, like more of the mystery, thriller, yeah. suspense right. realms. Right? There's a little more separation emotionally, yeah. Yeah. unrealism. Um, so, for people who want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Yeah, if they go to uh, shanesilvers.com, it's got all my books. Um, there's bio on there. It's got uh, links to all the different stores. Um, there's merchandise and all my social media links where you can follow me. Um, one of the biggest, the biggest ways to interact with me is if you go to facebook.com and just search Shane Silver's mm-hmm. den of freaks. Um, and it's, uh, if you go there, you'll see like there's 8,000 people now, maybe, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just a ton of super fans in there that, you know, have a good time. They leave their, leave their junk at the door and they're just there to have fun and laugh and uh, super cool, super supportive. There's been, um, they actually put together a convention um, two years in a row already for me mm. to come out and meet with a bunch of them and just hang out with them for a weekend. That's super cool. So they're super close, you know, tight knit family home away from home, which in this kind of day and age with the pandemic crap that everyone's dealing with, it's kind of nice to just have a place to just go hang out. Yeah have a, have a neighborhood barbecue with a bunch of strangers. Yeah. If you have a couple more minutes, I, you know, I, I save for the end kind of talking about how we're really dealing with or not dealing with, yeah. um, you know, this pandemic. So I assume that if there's anything scheduled for you this year, you know, your plans may be disrupted as far as travel yeah. goes and things. Yeah. And that's something I'm looking at right now is we have a, one of those conventions, the Friendsgiving conventions that the fans uh, host. Um, that's for 
July this year, and we're entertaining with all the craziness that, you know, a city government can shut everything down at the flip of a switch. Mm. You know, we're trying to trying to foresee anything like that and you know, work around. So yeah, there could be there could be changes that we have to deal with. Um, but yeah, it's it's messing up everyone's schedule. So yeah, and uh, like on a more day to day level, like what's it what's it been like? Are you are you able to write? Uh, like, what's changed? Yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting because my office has now been uh, uh, under siege by uh, two little assistants that um, are very helpful and not very helpful at the same mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Uh, they're both a riot, um, but uh, they love to you know knock on the door and slip notes under the door and you know get in fights and laugh. Mm-hmm. And chase each other on bikes and so every you know five ten minutes i'm getting interrupted um, mm-hmm. from, from a very serious fight scene to you know, go help them change their underwear or something you know and just little random things and so right. it disrupts but yeah and so like what shifts for your writing or expectations in that kind of setting uh, so what do you mean? Like for the rest of the year or just like, yeah, a- or just like, so you finished, you just finished a book and it was a challenge. And yeah. so I'm wondering how you adapted, like to be able to get words on the page or maybe reduce your expectations about how fast you go, whatever it is. Yeah. So, so my, my claim to fame is that I can sit behind a keyboard and just go mm-hmm. 20 hours, 18 hours, you know, um, protein bars and coffee mm-hmm. really all I need. Um, and so I obviously can't do that because I keep getting interrupted and that snaps me out of my funk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of my strength is when I get on a roll, I really yeah. kind of exponentially speed up. Yeah. And so I keep getting kicked off the tracks, um, before I can get that speed. And so, um, it was very difficult to work on this book, um, not to work on it, but to meet my own standards of mm. deadlines. Mm-hmm. That was very difficult. Um, because I'm constantly restarting is what it felt like. And so I'd have to spend time going back and reading where I was and trying to get back in that headspace. Yeah. The fight scene or whatever it was trying to get back in that anger state or that happy state or that sweet state, you know, whatever it was. Mm. So yeah, the deadlines, um, I would say just uh, in general, it's going to be harder to hit deadlines. Um, but we'll see that that could change. You know, that could have just been the first book that I was really doing it during the pandemic. And now I'm fine. I don't know. But I won't. Either way, I won't let any of that become an excuse. I'll just yeah. muscle through it. Did you have like a moment, like where like a, there was a flip that switched, where you adapted or felt like you could do it? Yeah, I mean, I like, like I said, I, I all these obstacles are always going to hit you, no matter mm-hmm. what point in your career you're on. Um, there's always going to be something that's telling you you can't do it, or you need a break or you need this. There's always going to be someone or something telling you to slow down or you can't do it because of this. And so again, I go back to those goal cards is that's been my saving grace is that you just keep beating yourself upside the head with these um, positive affirmations. And then it doesn't matter what the obstacles are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're going to keep pushing through them either way. Yeah. And I suppose you don't have to keep writing, but if you do it for yourself, Right. Like that's, yeah. that's a pretty compelling yeah. reason. Yeah, it's fun. And, and so I'll, I'll probably be taking a slight break. Um, I'll still be writing, but I'll probably be taking a slight break from announcing anything mm-hmm. just to kind of clean up shop from some mm-hmm. of the, the rubble 
I guess you could say from the pandemic, you know, there's just been little things that might've you know, slipped by the wayside. Um, and so there's little business things that I've got to take care of, you know, foreign translations and launching those and their audiobooks and stuff like that. Like there's a couple things like that that I've got to work out. Um, but I'll still be writing. I just yeah. haven't, I haven't officially announced a deadline. Um, after seeing how difficult this last one was to hit. Um, and I want to get to the point also where I'm simultaneously launching audiobooks and print any book mm-hmm. as opposed to you know, two month delay or one month delay. Um, yeah. So I'm kind of working out all those details right now. And that's right. It's difficult because the narrators, they don't just flip a switch and have your audiobook done. They've got to right. spend 12 to 20 hours doing it and then editing it. And, yeah, and apparently yeah. Audible doesn't always flip a switch either. Uh, exactly. And then you got to wait for Audible yeah. to take two weeks or whatever. So or, or longer in some cases. So, um, so trying to get closer to that point. Um, but, uh, I won't be, I won't be taking a break from actual work. I just don't know what the work will be. Yet. And so have there been like any kind of like unexpected gifts or something new that you've gained in the last couple months? Um, trying to think it's, it's been nice to see, um, my, my community of readers. They really, there's a bunch of, I mean, there's obviously 8,000 8, or so people there. And they're so tight knit that it's really cool because there's been a couple of them that were really, you know, severely affected uh, by COVID. And so they, um, they formed their own kind of not charities, but they called it adopt a freak. Mm. Um, And so they would chip in and help cover an expense or something like that for one of their fellow freaks. Um, And, uh, and especially like the nurses and the frontline people that were still forced to work um, those people, you know, weren't able to go get groceries or something cause they're working or, and so they, we would just adopt some of these frontline people. Um, and then I, I did the same thing for truckers. I did a big post about, um, you know, freight truckers and the people who were delivering all of our goods during the pandemic. And so I gave away, I think a hundred free audiobooks, um, just a bunch of random, you know, truck drivers. So I'll probably be doing something like that again here soon. So just the, the, the level of, negativity out in the real world versus the level of positivity in the community that I kind of helped create. It's cool. That's definitely a gift. Yeah. I get that. That's super cool. I've been getting emails almost every day that I like send something, a little short story snippet or, you know, share something and like hearing from people that like, I've had an awful day. Yes. This brightened my day. Thank you. Yep. Is not, you know, that's not business as usual, but it, no. but it's no. a good reason to keep going. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Well, Shane, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.